Imagine you're a corporation. You have the same rights as any individual person. Your pronouns are they, them, of course, and you want to expand your power and profits in the United States. Now, Republicans have always been more open to your campaign contributions and PAC money, mostly as a matter of principle. Big companies or job creators and the average GOP -er really wants the next factory or research facility to be in their district or state. Now, the alliance, it makes sense. Republicans like to slash taxes and companies love to have their taxes slashed. Democrats have always talked a big game publicly about rebuking money in politics and they pass around memes about how politicians should wear corporate stickers like NASCAR drivers, but they're quietly just as corporatist because campaign cash is sort of an arms race. They got to keep up. Now, their base is in genuine distrust of corporate America and capitalism altogether. Leftist activists have always been a thorn in the side of C-suite executives. So how do you get the dreadlocked white hippies and fair weather Antifa teens off of your back? You go woke. Tweet about racial justice, sign New York Times open letters about the evils of election integrity laws in Georgia, you cancel NRA member discounts, and you teach anti-racism on lame PowerPoint presentations for your warehouse workers. Maybe if you do, Democrats will be less hostile to your lobbyists looking to game the regulatory system, and Republicans, well, they'll come home after their tantrum. Or maybe they won't. <laughs> maybe they won't. I don't know, though. It's it's kind of it's kind of a mixed bag, isn't it? When you have the people who like, you know, they, they want this to be their whole thing and they want to like get super involved in politics and you just kind of want to go shopping, you know? And that is the voice for all of you podcasters out there of my co-host, Shoshana Weissman. Nice to have you here as always. Today, we're going to get into woke capitalism and whether or not it sells and the GOP's relationship to corporate America. But first, I would love it if you would subscribe to the channel here on YouTube. We have a new show every Thursday and some other content throughout the week. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and like us on Facebook at RightlyAJ. Podcast natives out there, you can find us on pretty much any podcatcher, and please leave a five-star rating. It would be much appreciated. All right, our guest today is none other than Hannah Cox. She's the host of Based on YouTube and a content wizard over at fee.org. That's the Foundation for Economic Education. Hannah, welcome to Right Now. Thanks for having me, Stephen. It's so good to be here. Well, we are going to talk about your favorite thing. You are a rabid capitalist after all. So we got to talk a bit about whether or not the whole enterprise is working. So the topic is woke capitalism. And I think we probably got to start with defining it. So what, in your view, is woke capitalism? Right. I like to always say I'm not sure we exactly have capitalism in this country to begin with. I think we've had more of a system of corporatism or cronyism for decades and decades. Uh, but what remnant we do have of capitalism would be the free market where people can can buy and sell as they choose without government interference. It's pretty simple. When it gets into woke capitalism, what you have is really more of a form of the cronyism uh, trying to take advantage and, and play into what they think politicians want so that they can keep getting money. You have corporations who have been getting a lot of corporate welfare and who have been embedded with politicians helping to make a lot of the laws and regulations that actually infringe on capitalism coming out and trying to be very performative and, and try to look like they're up with the times and they're in with the causes and, and, and signal to consumers that they care about the same things that they do. And so you often see them messaging around protests or Black Lives Matter issues. You see them talking about, um, you know, kneeling and you see them talking about things with Colin Kaepernick and things of, of these sort of social issues that rise to the top that the, the rest of the culture is talking about 
corporations love to jump in on that and seize the moment because it gets them a lot of coverage. It gets them in the media and they think that it's going to ultimately get them a lot of dollars. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're wrong. You know, I was going to take issue at the very beginning with the idea that we don't have capitalism in this country because like (laughs) nobody's stopping me from going out and buying what I want to buy at whatever grocery store I'd like to go to. But then I just remembered just the other month, uh, I found out that in my uh, in my town, I can only get T-Mobile for cable um, uh, I'm sorry, not T-Mobile, uh, Comcast Xfinity in my zip code for cable service. And that basically in my town, they've carved up different zip codes for different providers and they don't have competition. So if you live in my zip code, you can only get Comcast and you can't even go try to get another provider to give you better cable. And this happens all the time. And I, I mean, that's what you're referencing, right? It's like capture of different industries and capture of different regulations where government and the corporate sector collude for everybody to make more money and have it be a little bit more streamlined. No, I just said it's kind of the illusion of choice, you know, give people three or four options and tell them it's capitalism and then and don't really address all the problems that we have. I think we do have some capitalism in this country. Of course we do. Otherwise, we would be much worse off. But I think it's wise to see it as more of a percentage. You know, maybe we have 60 percent capitalism in some areas and 70 percent capitalism in other areas. No, it's true. Different markets are have different amounts of it, depending on how captured they are. But um, but it's it's kind of hard. You know, it. I, I I like, you know, I'm a dork for regulatory reform. Anyone who knows me knows that. Um, and it's and I'm not for corporatism. I'm for like free markets. But it's frustrating to see, you know, the, the trend from both the right and left to overregulate more while uh, both sides end up complaining about the things that companies are doing. So, you know, it's how do you see that kind of cognitive dissonance from both the left and right in different ways on like, oh, we want to control them more and then like maybe divide them up into more zip codes like this company gets the zip code or something else or, you know, state by state, whatever it is, or, or just other regulations that prevent competition while complaining that there's not enough competition, you know, so they yeah. they have to regulate more and the, oh, well, this company does a thing I don't like, so therefore I'll stop competition. You know, it's kind of a mess. How do you see all that? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Shoshana. I mean, honestly, I think you have a lot of arrogance. You have a lot of people, especially amongst the GOP representatives, who thought they had an arrangement with these corporations, right? They thought, we give you money, we give you special tax breaks, you're going to behave in this way. And when all of a sudden they recognize that these corporations are actually maybe playing for the other team, they want to pull that back because they feel like they had a deal. And and maybe they were right to feel like they had a deal because they were cutting special favors for them for all this time. And, you know, when we get to the regulatory state, even you and I agree strongly strongly on that. But we often see that many of these corporations are in on the regulatory state. They're coming in and they're working with lawmakers and they're working behind the scenes to actually write some of those regulations that they know will keep uh, competitors and new entrants out of the market and help them keep their high, uh, prices high and help them have uh, more control over a lot of the different areas in their sector. So um, I think what's happening right now is a little amusing for me yeah. because I think Welfare has always been terrible. I think the regulatory state's always been terrible. And it's kind of funny to watch it backfire on some of these folks. Well, I think uh, what you were talking about earlier, and I want to kind of go back to, you know, the definition of woke capitalism, whether or not it works, because the world has changed. It used to be the case where I think Michael Jordan's comments about, you know, the sneaker business held up in the 90s. He said, like, even Republicans buy sneakers. So he didn't he didn't want to uh, to weigh in too much on politics and alienate people who might want to, I, I presume, buy Air Jordans. But the, the market trends of these times have become more and more segmented, where every 
corporation, streaming company, movie studio are trying to find their people, their audience, rather than reach as many people as possible. I mean, on this show, we're not trying to reach every single person on the internet. We want to try to find our audience who want this kind of talk. And that is honestly like it used to be just an entertainment trend. And it has suddenly become everything from like what Delta to Nike to Starbucks is doing. It's like they don't want to sell a cup of coffee for everybody. They just want people to keep coming back who are already in their target demo, which is weird to me. That's not how I thought capitalism was supposed to work, but now it does. Yeah, and I would just add in too there that I think it works better in some spots than others. I mean, even just logistically and kind of intellectually, like just for example, when OkCupid went super, super woke and they're like, oh, you can put all these badges on your profile. Like, (laughs) I don't like the idea of saying, oh, I'll only date Democrats or Republicans. I don't think that's healthy for society. But at least you kind of get like, okay, they had an audience. They kept them coming back. But like you're saying, then it gets into Nike and like every company under the sun. And it's like, well, so are we, you know, are we dividing the town like in that South Park episode? Hannah, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, you know, for me, I have brand loyalty to companies who I think act ethically or who I think maybe share my values. I don't usually base it around their politics, though. Like, I think Trader Joe's is a magical, wonderful company. I'm obsessed with Trader Joe's. I think they treat their people really well. They treat their consumers well. I'm going to drive 20 miles out of my way to go to Trader Joe's because of that. Um, and so I think that you can form those bonds with consumers. And that's a healthy part of, of, of capitalism where you really can um, ensure that people are, are creating kind of a connection to the companies that they shop from and that companies are then sort of beholden to act in an ethical way and in a way that those consumers want to see. That's a good thing. Um, but I also think it's gotten too far where it's become tribalistic and it's become, you know, I'm not going to eat this ice cream because they're Democrats. <laughs> I don't want to have to care about what my ice cream politics are like I think people have too much time on their hands perhaps and it's gotten to where it's a little bit exhausting um, and it's, at the end of the day I think that it's, it's not a healthy direction that we're moving towards but it does seem that that's where the inertia is going yeah I mean because I think what you're describing is what I am most worried about which is like the libertarian movement I think has always been more open by their nature uh, to corporate America, you know, wanting everybody to sort themselves based on market incentives to vote with your wallet. It's a noble idea. And I actually really appreciate the ethos behind it. But at a certain point, we become the NASCAR drivers covered in brand stickers, sort of like living our lives in accordance with the brands that we are most aligned with. And that is tribalistic. And it's also just really creepy and gross. <laughs> Maybe I watched Rollerball too many times when, uh, when I was growing up. But like, I understood the whole idea of corporations wanting to use you as a billboard for their products and being a little bit distrustful of that by nature. Yeah, I think we all grew up in the 90s. I actually rewatched the film Josie and the Pussycat Dolls the other day, which was a favorite of mine as a child. And it's it's a satire that's actually about this, about how people are covering themselves in brands and, and it's all very consumeristic. And I think that it is unhealthy. And I, I think that's a really deep point, Stephen, that we do ultimately become the NASCAR covered in, in the stickers. And, and it's not really a direction that we want to move towards. The companies ultimately should be held to the standards of, are they providing goods and services that people want? Are they doing it in a way that is ethical, that, um, that people feel, is is fair and that they feel like they're getting good prices from them. That's that really should be the extent of companies' involvement. The problem that we're facing is that for so long that has not been the extent of companies' involvement in our economy or in our political system. And and I think that as long as we continue to move in a trajectory of cronyism and and moving away from a free market and 
and capitalism, you're going to see companies play a larger and larger role in our society. They're going to become more and more involved in our day-to-day lives, and they're going to continue to have an outsized impact on our policies, on the things that govern our day-to-day. And, and ultimately, we know that's not what people really want. That and ends Hannah, up in a really doing bad it. They're doing that because other institutions have broken down and people have, yeah. you know, Americans have by and large become alienated from the idea of different communities and ways that they associate. Like, I know you're a huge union buster and I consider myself a union buster too. But when things like that break down, other things step in to fill the void. And I think that's exactly what is happening. And I just sometimes think that maybe we've gotten a little bit wrong on the right about where we should be placing our priorities because the dissolution of different communities uh, and connections has really allowed corporations to step in. I mean, I've, I've seen these articles about like how CEOs are like world leaders now. And I'm like, no, that's not good. <laughs> uh, well, I will say two things. One, and I, I'm pretty sure I've brought it up before yeah. on this show, but uh, Yuval Levin's A Time to Build is so much about this. Like this is kind of what happens when our institutions break down and we need somewhere else to put our feels or to put our mind or stuff like that. That's one really big thing. Um, and another is just, I, I think... I think that there's there's so many different lines to be drawn here, and I'm not sure that all of them are super clear. Like one thing Hannah said that really got to me was about performativism, you know, that that companies can have an interest in their people and be really good to them and like treat them well. But then um, and even treat their communities well, like invest in their communities. And that's good. But why do we think that's good when, um, you know, like yelling and being part of protests is just kind of annoying sometimes? Or or is that OK? Like, how do we draw the line? How do we know when a company is, is like trying conscious to capitalism? Right. I mean, yeah. It's the John, the John Mackey, Whole Foods ethos, conscious capitalism. Yeah, I think ultimately, Stephen's right. Libertarians, and I share this view, we want to see people vote with their dollar. And we want to see the answer for that actually come down to the individual. You know, what do you think is performative? And what do you think is genuine? And I think, for me, I feel like it's usually pretty obvious when a company has a long, sustained track record of acting in a certain way. They've had policies for many decades, and they continue to live those out versus a company that really has done very little to actually um, impact their community or their workers, and all of a sudden has huge banners on the side of their businesses or is putting you know, hashtags on their products, that's somebody who's being performative and trying to make a buck off of a movement and look like they're down for the cause. Um, I And I think I feel that way because as someone who's worked behind the scenes, I would know if these corporations were actually up there lobbying for police reform or criminal justice reform or any point. of the things or, you know, yeah. getting rid of qualified immunity. I don't see them next to me at the hills working to get rid of these things. And so it just feels very disingenuous to me. And um, I think that's a downside. But I, I still don't think, you know, it's, it's their prerogative to do it. I just wish people would wake up to it and um, and ultimately move away from those kinds of companies. I can't remember. I can't remember what uh, where I saw this on Twitter, but it was somebody had quote tweeted an Amazon tweet uh, about social justice and their response to it was just pay your taxes. And I think like, I think, I think people on the left, there is still a strain of rebelling against this idea. Like the corporations are sincere in some of their, yeah. their messaging. And they're just like, you know what? We really appreciate you weighing in on Black Lives Matter, but we'd really just like it if you would pay your corporate taxes and help, uh, help contribute to the pool here in, in America. But I, I want to go to does we- whether or not this works. So, uh, Woke capitalism, in theory, drives a wedge between your potential customer bases, right? So Coca-Cola starts pushing uh, diversity trainings and critical race theory inside the company. They start weighing in on the Georgia election law and getting involved in politics in a very tangible way. And then Republicans 
turn against Coke. They start, you know, taking pictures with Pepsi. And it's all just kind of theater. I don't think that woke capitalism actually ends up making money for Coke in the way that they do. Hannah, what do you think is going on there? Do you really think it is about an effort to increase bottom line or is there a more meta game happening? I do think that if it didn't work to some extent, you would see them move away from it. They are still compelled by the dollar. And I think there's, you know, a few examples I could think of, but notably the Colin Kaepernick example comes back to mind with Nike and their um, and their hashtag shoes that they did when he started kneeling. And there was a huge outcry from Republicans around that. They were going to ban Nike. They were burning their Nike stuff. Um, and, and ultimately, Nike made a lot of money off of those shoes and, and had a great year. Um, so I think that the dollar does speak loudly. And I think that, you know, the unfortunate reality for people on the right is they're in the they're the minority and the culture and libertarians are even smaller minority in the culture. And so when you look at who's buying and where the, the buying power comes from, I think you've got, you know, two million plus people that are more likely to go with Democrat um, values and to to maybe shop at companies that are that are signaling that they support Democrat policies. So I, I do think that that is compelling it. But I, not to say there's not a metagame going on. Of course, I think that um, they do rely heavily on corporate welfare and on certain tax breaks and on um, being able to work behind the scenes with politicians. And so I do think that while I don't agree with some of the Republicans who are wanting to use corporate welfare as um, a stick, I, I think that it could be effective in actually curtailing some of this from companies. I really like the Nike example, too, because a couple of weeks ago, I was laughing about the Lil Nas Satan shoes or whatever, because I'm like, what? Like, I, I tried to avoid it. I couldn't get through the day without it. And then I'm like, OK. And then Nike sues them. And, you know, you might think, OK, maybe this hurts Nike in some way, like because it, it's not Nike producing them. It, it's Lil Nas and his team, like creating these from the Nike shoes. So I was like, OK, let me take a look at the lawsuit. But if you read the lawsuit, it's ridiculous. It's just like they're mildly like inconvenienced and then they're suing him. And like, that doesn't, that's not very social. It's just PR. I mean, well, that's just PR because shoe creators, oh, yeah. shoe creators get different kinds of shoes like blank templates and then they do original designs off of them. And I think this is proof that like Nike is at least a little sensitive to what you might call cultural conservative values where they're sure. like, we don't want to be married too closely to the, to the devil's shoe. So we're just going to, we're just yeah. going to put out a thing that publicly shows that we are not associated with this shoe creators do their own thing all the time but they could do a press release instead of a lawsuit and the That's fact that true. they did a, a lawsuit <laughs> tells you they're not really that woke on, on certain issues they're willing to just go after people kind of frivolously so you know? i did a little bit of digging on the question of whether or not woke capitalism sells and there was a really great study done uh, by vincent haranam in quillette.com and i'll put it in the show notes so anybody can find it if they want to look over this it's pretty complicated but basically what he did was look at companies that went woke versus ones that didn't who are in their same market so you have starbucks uh, juxtaposed against dunkin donuts you have nike against adidas and delta versus american airlines dunkin uh, Adidas and American did not go woke in 2018 when all these companies did. Now, each company experienced boosts in their sales for that short-term period. But in the long term, like backing out to six months, it's it's completely non no effect. Dunkin' and Starbucks stay consistent with each other relative to the way that they've always been. Um, and it just sort of says to me that like, yeah, it's a short-term gain sort of thing, but it doesn't do anything for them. What sells is opening new stores and putting butts in seats at your restaurants or people buying your shoes. Um, so I actually, there's not a lot of evidence, I think, that go woke, go broke is actually a thing. I think 
part of it too is trying. Like, uh, like um, Hannah, you know a lot about digital media too, so it's helpful to have you here to talk about this. But like, remember when everyone p- pivoted to video and like they're like video, videos, everything now, and then they're like, oops, we shouldn't have done video. Sometimes <laughs> it's just a trend. It's like, oh, let's see if this makes money. And like, rather than look at data at the time, they're like, oh, they're doing it, so they're smart. And you know, there there's certain evidence based people and companies, but there's also the guy who's like, oh, this is this is a trend. Like, let's do the trend. You know, Hannah, don't you kind of see it the same way as like yeah. pivot the video? A hundred percent. And I think we even recently, you know, everybody ran over to Clubhouse recently. Yeah. We all got on Clubhouse and we're doing that. And now like their their usage numbers are just plummeting. So it's I think there's always experiments and, and just kind of seeing what sticks, what works. And and I think that there is um, and I mean, we can't remove the human element to these companies, too. Right. It's very easy to just see them as like concrete buildings, but mm-hmm. there's humans running them. And I think it's probably pretty easy to get swept up in some of the high emotions that that go around with some of these events and in society. And and maybe, you know, they are being led by people who are of a certain political persuasion and and they go with that. You know, I think that it'd be hard for me as a human to remove myself from that. Even if I did own a business, I still have my views. It's not a coincidence that the companies are doing this at the same time the New York Times is dealing with it as well. It's because that, that generation of students who are tearing up college campuses with their woke PC stuff are now all in the corporate workplace as well. <laughs> yeah, but one thing that always bothered me about it is that we were supposed to get like fun workplaces out of like millennials <laughs> being unable to like handle no. work. Yeah, we didn't get like our street where I work has beanbag chairs. Not that like we can use them because we don't go into the office, which I love because I can work out all day. But we have beanbag chairs. <laughs> but like we didn't I don't know, like we don't have any. I mean, I love them and they're super comfortable, but I don't see a lot of like super fun offices like there's no slides why aren't there slides in my office like i mean i know i should talk to hr about <laughs> what did, that what did you think millennials were gonna bring to the work yeah i thought it was slides uh, and like, a, neon lights we had a ping pong table <laughs> and an open bar for like a minute and people didn't wear shoes in my first office but that That's ended right. very quickly when it re- people realized no one was doing any work so. oh i don't wear shoes in the office when they don't make me it's great <laughs> i love our street i have the best job well let's uh let's talk a little bit about the the republicans though because you know, the the real, I think the, the big change here has been that Republicans uh, in Congress and conservative America have never been more standoffish against corporations yeah. uh, who previously, not like they were like cozy with, but they there was like a tacit sort of agreement that like the boardroom Republican was a thing, that they brought jobs uh, and that they may mostly were invested in what you might call like Americana and American values. That's not the case anymore. Hannah, do you buy the Republican turn against corporate America? We talked a little bit about Ted Cruz and the populists. Where are you at on that? Well, I think they too are having a instinctual moment. I think that you're seeing a lot of feelings wrapped up right now. And I think that they mean it for now. I don't think it's going to be a long-term arrangement. Ultimately, they've created a system where they need each other too much. And I think that it's not a principled stance. You know, a principled stance would have been corporate welfare. Cronyism is wrong. It's it's antithetical to capitalism. And we're not going to participate in this. It would say, you know, we don't think corporations should have more influence over public policy and over the laws that govern Americans than the average American citizen does. And we're not going to take their dollars. That didn't happen. That's not why they're doing this. They're doing this as a very reactionary, punitive measure. They're mad about a couple key events that have happened. They're responding. They're getting a little boost right now from doing so from their voters that I think will also dissipate over time. And I think when it does, um, their their politics will shift. Georgia. Right back. I mean, Georgia is sort of sort of yeah. case in point over how this has panned out. The Republicans down in Georgia moved in response to Delta criticizing their voter laws 
to strip them of their fuel subsidy. Yeah. That is that is wild. All right, like I I understand the idea of like punishing a company for stepping out of its bounds, but why did they have the fuel subsidy in the first place? Is yeah. my question. Why were <laughs> right. why were they getting the, the the tax break in the first place so that they just like went along with the the will of the legislature? Like these are two warring kingdoms and you only see that there is something wrong and toxic about their relationship when one actually tries to get involved in the culture war against the other's will. And they didn't end up passing it. It just passed the House and then it died in the Senate. And you just have to wonder, like, I just don't know if I really take these these criticisms too seriously. They're just going to go back to the status quo here after uh, they get their tantrum out of their system. Yeah. And, and you know, like with Ted Cruz's op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, that blew my mind. It, it's, you know, the Georgia example is really apt because it's saying the quiet part out loud. It's like, you don't get special benefits from us anymore because you're now being mean to us. Like, what? That's government. That's super authoritarian. They shouldn't have been getting that special stuff in the first place. And, you know, the, the Georgia stuff I, I didn't love, of course, because... I mean, Delta shouldn't have had the special stuff to begin with and whatever. But reading Cruz's op-ed, he was like shouting the quiet part out loud. He's like, yeah, he said your money is no good here anymore. Yeah, like, so <laughs> it was good. It was good until now. Like, what the heck? Yeah, because like Hannah, in in particular, like in conservative and libertarian circles, like we've we've been staunch defenders as a matter of principle of like Citizens United, the idea yeah. that corporations, you know, they essentially are people and they have money, they have interests, and they should be able to spend them the way that they see fit for political causes. That's like a matter principle that we accept. But then when you say your money is no good here anymore, you are admitting that like you change and move your political positions and policies based on whether or not they play ball with you on other stuff, the culture war, the all important war for Republicans. Yeah, it was stunning to see it in black and white. We know this. You know, we work internally in the in the political sector. We know how these things go down, how it works. But still, just seeing it so boldly written just blew my mind. It was like, wow, you really are just just saying the quiet part out loud again. It, it is stunning to me. But I think it's actually maybe a good thing for some Americans to see it because I don't think the average American really understands just how intricately these these two entities are linked, how much control they have over the system, and how little you as an individual, your vote, your voice matters. If I call my congressman in D.C. or my senator in D.C., they don't really care what I have to say. Let's be really, really honest. I maybe, maybe, actually, I don't because I don't like my current representatives, but maybe <laughs> I get bucks here or something. I don't matter as much as somebody who's giving them thousands of dollars and, and donations and PAC money, money that they have to obtain if they want to get reelected. Um, and there's a, an excellent documentary, I think, on HBO called The Swamp um, that a friend of mine actually produced yeah. that really digs into the money in the politics and how, how much it takes to stay in office and even how much it takes once you're in office to get committee appointments and to actually have any sort of say in the process whatsoever. It's very, very expensive. And so both sides, they aren't a rat's race. They have to keep raising that money. Um, and ultimately, until something changes in our laws and in our system, I don't see that reversing. And this is just really an offshoot of it where they're going to get more and more petty. Um, I think that the politicians are going to get more and more tyrannical and thinking that they are obliged certain um, stances or even, you know, buying the company silence for certain policies as long as they're in these arrangements. So it, it will yeah. be on, it, it will be 
in, interesting to see how many people actually quit taking their money. Um, I think that that would be a, a good thing. And it doesn't make a but difference. I, just I mean, like the, the candidates that bring in the most money are not necessarily the candidates who win races these days. I mean, like how many times now have you seen a headline about like the mainstream sort of establishment candidates? They're making bank on bringing in tons and tons of dollars. They're bringing in the corporate donations. But then, you know, like Bernie Sanders, like still sweeps in Donald Trump. <laughs> Not as much money as Hillary Clinton still like sweeps in and manages to undermine them because, you know, at the end of the day, everybody has one vote, one person, yeah. one vote. Uh, and money, I just think it's losing its power oh, yeah. over Washington. And that's great. I'm happy to see it. And, you know, everybody, you're, you're hearing this on May 6th is when we drop this episode, but we're taping it on May 4th. So may the 4th be with you. So like, just <laughs> like a quick Star Wars sidebar. It's like liberals used to really understand this. Like the whole message of the Star Wars prequels, episodes one, two, and three was George Lucas railing against corporatism in, in American politics. Like there was this sort of idea that even in the Galactic Senate in Star Wars, that companies had seats in the Senate, the Trade Federation, the banking clan, they had votes just like worlds with actual citizens, which is crazy. But in a sense, like that was his commentary on how DC works. And it goes back to the NASCAR bumper sticker suits that everybody is actually listening to lobbyists and not listening to their constituents. When I was younger, I didn't really believe that. I do now. And I think libertarianism is what helped me realize that that is true. Um, you know, because we're supposed to be anti-authoritarian here and companies are just trying to get theirs too. What worries me though, along those lines and along some of the stuff Hannah was saying though, is like, I don't know. Do, so even though uh, politicians are now saying the quiet part out loud, I'm just not sure who's listening because I've seen a lot of like cheering on crews or cheering on Republicans for saying, oh, you know, your money is no good here anymore. But Hannah, from your, from the stuff you you've seen are people getting it are they are they realizing wait that means it was before you know um i mean i have to say i probably am in a bit of a bubble i think people around me tend to be more wholehearted capitalists and to really understand why <laughs> this is problematic so sure. i don't know that my anecdotal evidence is best but yeah i have seen a lot of people commenting on it in that way and saying you know this is really shocking to see them admit this and and maybe we shouldn't have been taking this money ever in the first place like the real problem is that you were ever taking it you need to pull back corporate welfare i do i do think that especially among younger generations the issue of corporate welfare is one that the right and left um or at least libertarian right and left can agree on. I don't know where like the nationalist right really falls. But um, as far as those two camps, we really do agree that this is a huge problem. This is something that, you know, many of the things that we're seeing come out of com companies that people on the right don't like, it's it, they're only able to do that because they're so big. They've gotten so much corporate welfare. They don't have many competitors. So when people want to complain about Facebook's policies or Twitter's policies, I can agree with them. And also we need to agree that government created this monster, right? They wouldn't have gotten this big without competitors, without government assistance and help. And we need to quit doing this in the first place if we don't want companies to have such well, an Well, let me challenge you on this, Anna. How do, we, how, do we, how do we actually diminish the power of like these big tech companies who Republicans are, are rightly, I think, worried about having too much of a say in how we discuss and relate to each other online? Let's break them up. Let's break up big tech. Let's uh, initiate antitrust. What say you? I think the only principled answer on this is deregulation. We need to get regulations out of the sector. We need to make it easier for people to enter the market, to create new concepts, to actually come in and compete and succeed. That's not been happening on either side. We're not seeing any sort of movement towards that kind of policy that actually would 
provide more options for us. And so I do think ultimately we probably are on a pathway where we're heading towards some kind of antitrust um, work that will end up breaking them up to an extent. I can't say that I endorse that, but I do understand why they've gotten themselves in this situation. I think that they have acted unethically. I think that the government has acted unethically in giving them so much power and authority and letting them become so big um, by off our tax dollars, by the way. Um, so I think that, you know, these are the natural repercussions that come from these situations. When you start violating basic principles of capitalism early on, you then get these really bad uh, results and it just starts snowballing where then you get worse and worse government intervention into the market and corporations. Stand necessarily where deregulation comes into breaking up the power of big tech. What regulations are protecting their ability um, you know, to keep other players out of the market. I mean, like talking about antitrust is like breaking up Facebook where it's like they can't have WhatsApp, Instagram, and Facebook all under their banner at once. So they need to be an individual company. I don't see where regulation comes into it. I see it more as like gobbling up different properties uh, and then building these super companies that have sort of like a, just a huge market monopoly share over that space. Right. I'm not saying that deregulation impacts that. I'm saying that's where we're ultimately going. But I think that the principled stance on how to address the problems being created by Facebook and Twitter would be to open up the market and to deregulate and probably needed to happen 20, 30 years ago. Um, in reality, where we are in this pathway, I don't know that I see a realistic principled pathway out of it, if I'm just being honest. Do you think that libertarians are too comfortable with the idea of the corporation um, do you think that we should be more wary about corporate totalitarianism or is there nothing to see there? I think there's something to see there because of the government's involvement in the corporations, right? If there weren't government power, if there weren't our tax dollars being given to them, if there weren't this involvement between the two, then I don't think you would see corporations even have such influence over our society. I don't think you'd see as many large corporations. I think you would see a lot more competition and, and new entries. I think you would see companies fail and go bankrupt and go to business. And that would then open up more space and markets for new companies to come in and replace them. I think the reason that you don't see a lot of that turnover and growth um, and, and healthy competition in the market is because government's gotten involved and entrenched with certain corporations. And, and I don't think libertarians are um, removed from that. I think that they're pretty attuned to it and do, and do see it as a concern. But they are different than the left in that they trace those concerns back to the ultimate root cause of the problem, which is government involvement and cronyism in the market, instead of just blaming the corporation, which is really a product of the system we've created. We've created a system where there's a lot of power up for grabs if you spend money Money and you go and lobby and you give donations to politicians, you're going to get a lot of proceeds from that. And they're just playing the game. So I don't think they're absolved from it. But I also can't say I always blame them for, for operating within the system that we've crafted. I mean, the, the case in point of this was Parler, right? When Parler kind of rose up to challenge Twitter and their free speech rules, uh, Parler was around for a little while. And, you know, there, we kind of like the free marketeers had a moment of like, oh, like there's competition. See, the market is working. Mm -hmm. And then they get dumped by Amazon Web Services. They're offline. And then, you know, the conservatives and all the people who want to institute government regulation and more power over social media companies go, aha, there is no competition. Parler can't even exist without being woke and PC. And then Parler comes back. And then we don't have like the next chapter of that debate where we go, aha, see, <laughs> nobody's stopping you <laughs> from being on the internet. Like there's nobody stopping you from yeah. running an app or a website. Um, but it kind of depends on whether or not you're able to be viewed. And like there's this thing going on right now in California with the App Store fighting, uh, the Apple App Store right. fighting against Epic Games. 
you know, if you are not allowed to be listed on Apple's store, do you even exist? I, I can't say you do. Oh, come on. <laughs> I can't I, say you do. I use Twitter in um, not even in its app. I, I sometimes use the app, but I often use it in Google Chrome, and which you can still do. Lots of places have websites for stuff. So I, I think it's it's the moral <laughs> panic. I mean, like I always go back to South Park when they're singing Kumbaya while burning down the Walmart and then they build yeah. up this other store. And they're like, oh, this is the moral one. And then they eventually have to burn it down. Like it's a moral panic. We had a moral panic over bicycles in uh, the social dilemma. They said that never happened, but like it did. And there's like evidence. And um, even watching a lot of the tech hearings, like it sounds just like the video game hearings of the 90s, which we know were ridiculous. Like we got to stop the moral panicking and stuff and Mm -hmm. also look at the facts and define our markets. Because to say Facebook has no competition, like, okay, you're tweeting that. And also, if you wanted, you can post it on LinkedIn. Also email, which is a protocol. And there's a million email services. There's like so many. There's WhatsApp, there's Signal. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no competition if you're defining the market as like, Facebook post. Yes, Facebook has a monopoly on Facebook posts. I'm so sorry about that. Like, go post elsewhere. It's like, and I'm not saying that they don't make bad decisions. A lot of times these companies make decisions um, on moderation or whatever that I disagree with. But man, like, we do, let's define the market as something other than like, you know, the the thing it created, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I absolutely agree, Shoshana. I think that there are plenty of alternatives. I think the area where I start to get conflicted is that you do see some companies like Facebook buying up so many of the new competitors. And that is something where it's unfortunate for the consumer. Um, But on the other hand, I don't know that I think it's really a violation of the free market. And I think that if if you look at the past 20 years and look at the companies that were on top 20 years ago and look at where they are now and who's on top now, you do still see a lot of growth. You do still see a lot of turnover. You see new people coming in and trying new things and seeing what sticks. And I don't think that Facebook will be at the top forever. I think you oh, will yeah. see something else emerge and, and move forward. And so I don't like the idea that we throw away our principles because we're having a bad situation with the company at the top right now. You know, I don't yeah. like Facebook's policies. I personally have had, I've seen them throttle my numbers. I've seen them start to decrease, mm-hmm. you know, the, the viewers on my articles and it sucks. It really is unfortunate. Um, but on the other hand, I just go to other platforms and I post more frequently there. I'm building my own website. I'm finding workarounds. I don't think that we should throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, well, our principles are no good here because we've hit, you know, a bump in the road where we're not getting our way or things aren't on the up and up for us. I think true people in a capitalist system are innovative and they look for workarounds and they try to find ways to address the problem without the government. And that's what we should be trying to do. Um, But I think that we do have to also be honest about the problems being created by some of these corporations if we want to reach people who aren't with us, because the inertia on that issue does feel like it's moving more and more towards government breaking up these companies and and really getting very involved in the tech sector. And one thing I want to add in there, too, is I don't want to make the problem worse. Like I see problems, but I think a lot of the solutions are not solutions. Like um, my friend Patrick Hedger at TPA had a really great op-ed today, and I think it's real clear markets is real clear something but it's basically how like AOL and Yahoo used to be at the top and oh they're monopolies like they're never going away and like they were just sold for like a little like it's it, it sucks it's like when you um I don't know when you adopt like a really strong dog that's like really like out you know it's it's so it can do whatever with you it can go hiking with you and then like your friend adopts it and then it just like lies on the couch all day like that's kind of what happened there like MySpace isn't a thing anymore we've got to break up a, a, a instant messenger it's got to be done one it's gotta thing be too done. though is um, I think people forget this that if that some companies start to be acquired but it, that's going to be a lot worse if we create regulatory cliffs that okay over this level you're you know you're going to have to deal with all 
this compliance. They're going to want to be bought out when they get to that level. Like, we don't have the lawyers. Uh, Facebook has the lawyers. Acquire us. Like, that's, you know, so I, I worry about making that problem bigger, about making Facebook bigger, Google bigger by necessity, like that way. So I want that innovation. I just don't want to, like, kill that innovation. And I, I want to give you, I want to give you the last word and we're going to wrap. Woke capitalism, is this a momentary trend or is it here to stay? I think it's a momentary trend. I think a lot of the public sentiment of where we are right now is momentary. I think we're in a rough decade in history where people are going to look back on this and examine it for a long, long time. You know, I hear a lot of people still compare it to the 60s and how tumultuous it was to live during that time. Um, I think we're going through that and and it's it's tough. I think we will come out the other side. Um, My hope is that we do that without, you know, getting even worse government involvement into the market and, and policies that ultimately have lasting impact outside this decade. You know, we're having a real culture war and it may be it needs to be had, but it needs to be had in the culture and keep the government out of it. Yeah, I like that. I, I don't know. You're one of my favorites for this reason. Like I'm here for <laughs> I'm here for Hannah. <laughs> With all the troubles in the world, we like to look for some bright spots to end the show on a positive note. Shoshana, what has got you happy and feeling positive this week? I know I've used this before, but licensing reform. A few new states, I know, a few (laughs) new states uh, enacted universal licensing recognition so people can move to their state and work. And like, you know, the first one was only two years ago um, from Arizona, from my perfect angel, Governor D. This is like transferring your license from state to state. Yeah. Be a barber in North Carolina. You can also work in in Arizona. And you don't have to go through another crazy process. Okay. And now like more than a fifth of the country has this. And that's huge. People can move and work and it's that makes me happy it's working (laughs) the movement is actually reforming licensure i'm happy for you i'm happy for you anna congrats you you get a lot of credit for that your work has been super impactful in that area um, my exciting news is personal because I'm kind of consumed with it at the moment but i am in the process of buying my first house so i'm really excited about that Thank you. You'll and be I've happy for a little while until your position. first pipe break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's been a stressful process, but I think it will hopefully be worth it for a little while at least. Wonderful. Where are you headed? Atlanta. Atlanta. Heading down uh, close to fee for my new role. Yep. I'll have to hit you up when I do Shaky Knees Festival. I've been dying to go to that forever. Oh, yes, awesome. let's go. I used to be a festival queen, girl. Let's do it. <laughs> let's go. Um, Home ownership. That's an exciting milestone. Uh, well, I already mentioned it earlier in the show. It's Star Wars Day uh. here when we're talking about this. So, no, there's a new show uh, on Disney Plus in the Star Wars universe. It's called The Bad Batch. Uh, so this is a spinoff of the Clone Wars animated series for all of you Star Wars fans out there. This is going to be a fun new show. It debuts today, and it's going to track the uh, a sort of group of, like, misfit clones in the year's after Order 66 and the destruction of the Jedi Order. It's going to be awesome. And I just found out today, like, the main crux of the show is going to be, like, when did the Empire get rid of the cloning program and actually start recruiting human stormtroopers? So I'm very excited, and I'm just looking forward to going home and watching it with my Padawan, and everyone should go do the same. I'm just uh, proud of you for finding something I care about less than sports. (laughs) (laughs) Rude. (laughs) I hope the force is not with you, (laughs) Shoshana. But all of you out there listening, may the fourth be with you uh, now and always. So um, that is it for our show this week. This is right now Stephen Kent. That is me. Please leave us a review uh, on 
Apple or Google, wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love it if you would subscribe, follow us on YouTube. Leave us a comment. I promise to respond to every single comment in the thread. So do it. It's a lot of fun. We'll be back next week with more. See you then.